0: Hello and welcome to bonus episode four of From Paper to People's Own Family Cookbook. All holiday season long, I'm looking at newspapers.com for historical perspectives on holiday recipes. This week, we're doing it slightly differently because the holiday we're examining doesn't have deep roots in newspapers in the U.S., but I think you'll like what I found for you nonetheless these newspapers only go back to 2005 and 2006. Still, they're great recipes. Now, if you've been tracking in the Facebook group, on Patreon, or on Twitter, you know that I was hospitalized in August and that I've been ill ever since. I want to thank everyone for their love and support, most specifically the 125 members of the From Paper to People Facebook group, who are helping one another, sharing photos and questions and answers and jokes, and all in all, having a great time. You have kept my spirits up, and I really, really appreciate it a lot. We do have a quick bit of housekeeping to do since I've been away for a while. Thank you, Marisa Kolka, for joining my Patreon army with monthly financial support. In case any of you were wondering, there are 12,738 episode downloads as of this moment, which blows my mind. And there's also an Ancestry DNA sale going on in the U.S. I hope there is in the U.K., I hope there is in Canada, and I really hope there is in Australia. Here it is $59 per kit from now until November 21st. So jump in there and get a few if you can. That's $40 off the regular price. Also, and this is big news for many, Germany now has access to Ancestry DNA test kits. For those of us with German roots, I think this will open many doors to transatlantic cousin-finding possibilities. I know that I'm excited about the possibilities for my Weissner, Pechtel, Hinsey, and other German lines. Finally, I have a new microphone. Can you hear the difference? I replaced my $25 mic with a $60 mic. It was as good as I could do. This is a Samson Q2U, and I think it's less tinny. We'll see whether you can hear the difference. Now, on to business. I apologize for checking out a bit. I'm not up to full-blown teaching episodes yet. I'm even a little bit dizzy right now, but I certainly want to stay involved with a few holiday food episodes, so I'm back to keep moving forward with November holidays. The thing is, I thought I'd just be concentrating on Thanksgiving, but I was wrong. One of my people came over on the Mayflower. I can't even remember which person it was. He basically got here and he died a few months later. I'm not even sure, but I was taught to think of November as that month in which we talk about how happy the Native Americans were to see the Europeans and how they gave us food because we were so nice and they were so nice and everything was perfect. The usual nonsense. Now, I know a lot better than I did when I was a kid, and though I do owe my life and my Americanness to countless ancestors who came here, took things that didn't belong to them, and didn't play nicely with others, I still celebrate the classic Thanksgiving holiday, but I don't do so in the way that I used to. Now, I use it as a day to celebrate food, family, good fortune, and to remember the true history. Of this country. And it's really a lot about cooking together with family for me. And somebody always complains about the way the potatoes are made. Last year it was me, so I ended up making the potatoes, but my sister, the control freak, thought it wasn't going fast enough. So she and my niece took the whole thing over from me and used all of my expensive garlic butter. It's always a little bit of a scene, but it's always fun too, and it's only once a year. Overall, I like to think of November as a month for gratitude and for hope for looking forward to things because personally, I love the dark and moody fall and winter, the clouds, the snow, the cold and gloomy rain. Today is Saturday and we have a gale warning all day until something like seven tonight. It is blowing so hard out there. I don't know how a single leaf is hanging on and I had to run errands out in the middle of it and it's like 40 something degrees. I was in my element, I was loving it, absolutely loving it. And part of the reason was that it gave me a reason to then come home and be inside where it's warm, you know, and one of my favorite things is to make a fire, you know, or I get to maybe hang out with friends here, watch movies with cats bundled up next to me. That's a constant in my life. It's a kind of cocoa, herbal tea, and robust chai weather kind of time of year, and none of that is bad, right? As it happens, Wednesday was the start of Diwali Puja, or Diwali, the Hindu holiday. It ends on Saturday, which is today as I'm recording. It's called the Festival of Lights, or Lakshmi Puja, because it celebrates the goddess Lakshmi, goddess of wealth and purity. The main festival night of Diwali coincides with the darkest new moon night of the Hindu lunisolar month, Kartika, because the Hindu calendar is a lunar calendar rather than a solar one. So it's either going to land in October or November. It just depends on the lunar year and the solar year and how they coincide. Diwali symbolizes a lot of things voiced in a lot of different ways. And I'm going to read you a couple of different sources. But basically, it's the victory of good over evil. And there are lots of lamps that are lit. And I'm going to read you more about that. But the lamps are lit as a sign of celebration and hope. Diwali is one of the most popular holidays in Hindu countries. And as more Hindu celebrants are moving to the United States. It's becoming more and more mainstreamed here. If you've seen a building lit for Diwali, you know just how elaborate and beautiful the celebration is. I decided to dive into newspapers.com to find some recipes for it and I'm so glad that I did because I love Indian food. Don't know about you. I love Indian food, and I found you some terrific recipes. So you're really in luck and really in the right place if you do as well. I'm going to combine these two narratives here in front of me, and we're going to see what we get out of it. Basically, Diwali celebrates the triumph of good over evil, the rejection of darkness and ignorance, don't we all need that right now, and the dawning of spiritual light within each person. To mark the festival, Hindus light candles or clay lamps, called diyas, exchange gifts of sweets, gather for meals with friends and family, and perform acts of ritual or worship, called puja. Traditionally, fireworks are also an integral part of Diwali. That's from the 18th of October 2006 in the Reno Gazette Journal. Then I've also found this really terrific narrative that was written by Sujata Parida. That was published in the 26 October 2005 Courier News in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Sujata grew up in India and so is writing about childhood memories and things like that. Diwali for Hindus is like Christmas is for Christians. It's a time to exchange presents and cook elaborate meals with friends and family. But Diwali has four days of celebration, and we begin with cleaning our homes from top to bottom. On the first day of Diwali, people buy something for the house, some jewelry for the women, and sweets for friends. Buying something metallic, particularly silver, is considered auspicious. Card parties are also very popular in many parts of India. Diwali is also a time to worship Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth. In many regions of India, people pray to her at this time for blessings of wealth, prosperity, and the triumphs of good over evil and light over darkness. In Hinduism, wealth is considered to have a spiritual significance. A wealthy person is rewarded for good deeds in a past life because, you know, they believe in reincarnation. Diwali is also a time to see the good in others, including enemies. The fourth day of Diwali falls on the first day of the Lunar New Year. It is a time when one starts anew. Many businessmen settle their old accounts, and new accounts are opened. My favorite site of Diwali, which means a row of lamps, was and still is the lit oil diyas lamps made of clay, symbolizing knowledge, throughout the neighborhood on window sills, porches, and terraces. My grandfather would take me by the hand and lead me through the house to all the dias, and I would help him light each one using the last one lit to light the next one. He used to tell me that the steady burning dia is a constant symbol of an illuminated mind. Lighting the lamp of knowledge within us means understanding and reflecting on the purpose of each of the four days of festivities and bringing those thoughts into our day-to-day lives. The legends behind the celebrations of Diwali concern the victory of good over evil. As a young girl every year, I looked forward to hearing the story of the great King Rama, who was banished into the forest for 14 years. It was said that when it was time for him to return home, the people of his kingdom lit the DS to show him the way home and to welcome his return. Diwali is celebrated to commemorate the coronation of Rama as king. Today, I take my children through the steps I learned as a child with my grandparents. We light the DS in the evening on our front porch. We sing prayer songs, visit friends, and share sweet treats. It feels good to carry on the age-old traditions and pass them to the next generation. A major part of the fun of Diwali is sharing good food with friends and family. Sweets are traditional with Diwali, here is a recipe that is very easy to make. It is a tradition for my family. So, here is the first recipe, and if you're familiar with halva, which is also called halawa in Arabic countries or Arabic speaking countries, this is halva, but it is carrot halva. And it takes 6 medium carrots, 2 cups of whole milk, 1 cup of heavy cream, 8 whole cardamom pods. Eight tablespoons of vegetable oil or ghee, which is melted clarified butter, and you can get that at any, well, any more, you can get it at pretty much any grocery store. You can certainly get it at a specialty grocery store or online at amazon.com. Six tablespoons sugar or to taste, two tablespoons golden raisins, two tablespoons shelled unsalted pistachios, lightly crushed, two tablespoons raw cashews. Peel carrots and grate either by hand or in a food processor. Put grated carrots, milk, heavy cream, and cardamom pods in a heavy-bottomed pot and bring to a boil. Turn heat to medium and cook, stirring frequently until there is no liquid left. Adjust heat if you need to. It will take about an hour or more for all the liquids to go down. Just keep stirring. Low heat helps to keep it from sticking to the bottom of the pot. Heat the oil in a nonstick frying pan over a medium-low flame. When hot, add the carrot mixture. Stir and fry until the carrots lose the wet, milky look. Instead, the mixture should have a reddish color. Add sugar, raisins, pistachio, cashews, and continue frying for a minute or two. May be served warm or at room temperature. Serves four. Sounds good to me. And now that we've had our dessert, let's have our main course. Main course is shrimp curry. Everybody loves a good curry, right? So this is going to be very nice. But it has a kind of a sweetness to it. One large onion, chopped. Six tablespoons olive oil. One and a half inch piece of cinnamon stick. Six green cardamoms. Four cloves. One bay leaf. Two teaspoons of minced or grated ginger root two teaspoons of minced or grated garlic, two teaspoons ground cumin, two teaspoons ground coriander, one half teaspoon salt or to taste, one and a half cups canned tomatoes, crushed or two medium tomatoes chopped, two cups water, add a one half cup more if more gravy is desired, one pound large shrimp, peeled and deveined, one teaspoon red chili, which is optional, Two to four sprigs of fresh coriander chopped. And you can't do without that. That's also cilantro. Cilantro leaves. Some people call it coriander, whatever. Anyway, here we go. Heat oil. Fry onions until tender, three to four minutes. Add the cinnamon, cardamoms, cloves, and bay leaf. Cook for one minute more. Then add ginger and garlic. Add the chili, cumin, coriander, and salt. Cook for 30 seconds. Add tomatoes and fry until spices are reddish brown. Add the shrimp and toss once before adding water. Cover and simmer for 10 to 15 minutes. Serve with chopped coriander or cilantro, leaves sprinkled on top. That sounds like heaven. Even loving having dessert first, I'd still have the shrimp curry first. That is amazing. Next, we have a more traditional halwa. That comes from the Reno Gazette-Journal, the 18 October of 2006 newspaper. It is a sweet semolina confection, a half cup of ghee, which is the clarified butter, one cup suji, which is fine-grained semolina, or cream of wheat, one tablespoon chickpea flour, also called gram flour, channa flour, or besan, one quarter cup ground almonds, one to one and a half cups sugar, depending on sweetness desired, one tablespoon ground cardamom, a pinch of saffron, a handful or so of golden raisins to taste, and two cups of boiling water. In a large, high-sided skillet, such as a chicken fryer, melt ghee over low heat, stir in suji or fine-grained semolina cream of wheat, and cook about five minutes until light brown, stirring frequently. Add the chickpea flour or graham flour, chana flour, besan. And cook five minutes more, stirring frequently. Add ground almonds and cook five minutes more, stirring frequently, and ensuring color maintains a light brown. Do not allow paste to burn. Stir in sugar, ground cardamom, saffron, and raisins. Stir in two cups boiling water a bit at a time so paste achieves consistency of wet sand. Cook about five minutes more until liquid is absorbed and paste achieves consistency of dense mashed potatoes, stirring frequently. Serve six. Now I'd have to look this up, but it sounds like something you'd eat with a spoon as opposed to something that you would eat the way that traditional Middle Eastern halva is eaten. I don't know. I mean, I just cut it off a log with a knife and just eat it, which is probably not a good way to eat it because it's like eating sugar. You know, I mean, it's just sugar and sesame seeds in those recipes. But okay, here we go. All right. Now this is good. Puri is deep fried puffy bread. And there just can't be enough of this in the world. It's so yummy. Okay. Puri. One cup sifted whole wheat flour. One cup all purpose unbleached white flour one half teaspoon salt, one tablespoon corn, peanut, or olive oil for dough, plus extra for deep frying and rubbing on dough, about one cup milk or water. Put two flours and salt into bowl. Dribble in oil and rub into flour. Slowly add enough milk to enable you to gather dough together into a ball. Knead dough 10 minutes until smooth. Shape into ball, rub with a little oil, slip into resealable plastic bag, and let sit 30 minutes. Pour oil for frying into frying pan to depth of at least one inch and set over medium heat. Allow oil time to become hot. Line large baking tray with paper towels. Meanwhile, knead dough again and divide into 12 balls. Keep 11 balls covered. Take 12th ball and rub lightly with oil. Flatten ball into patty and roll into five to five and one half inch round. Lift round and lay atop hot oil without allowing round to fold up. Round may sink but should rise to surface almost immediately. Using back of slotted spoon, keep pushing puri under surface of oil with rapid light strokes. Puri will resist and puff up in seconds. And oh it's really, really pretty when this happens too, by the way. Once puffy, turn puri over and count to two. Lift puri from oil and deposit on paper towels. Repeat with remaining dough balls. Oh, this is so good. And by the way, this came from a book. I want to be sure to credit it so that I don't get in trouble. It's from Curries to Kebabs, Recipes from the Indian Spice Trail by Madhur Jaffrey, which was published in 2003, Clarkson Potter. So that sounds really, really good. And the halva was courtesy of Shanti Rawat of Reno. Okay, now we have matar paneer, which is one of my all-time favorite Indian dishes. It's cheese with peas. It's a homemade cheese that's cut into cubes. Oh, it's so good. Okay, one and two-thirds cups of paneer which is an Indian cheese. You can also use Mexican queso fresco, it says here. It's kind of a dense cheese, but if you can get to any kind of an international grocery, especially an Indian grocery, you can find paneer. One medium onion, quartered. Two cloves, garlic, peeled. One half inch piece, ginger. Two tomatoes, quartered. Six tablespoons, oil. One teaspoon, ground turmeric. One half teaspoon, chili powder one teaspoon ground coriander, one teaspoon salt, three-quarter cup of peas, fresh or frozen, one cup water, one tablespoon coriander leaves chopped, which means cilantro leaves to Americans. Cut paneer into half-inch cubes. In food processor, puree onion, garlic, ginger, and tomatoes set aside. Heat oil in saucepan over medium high heat and fry paneer cubes a few at a time, turning frequently until golden brown. Remove from oil, drain on paper towels, and set aside. To remaining oil in saucepan, add reserved puree and fry three to four minutes, stirring constantly until oil comes to top. Add turmeric, chili powder, ground coriander, and salt, and continue frying another one to two minutes. Add peas to saucepan and stir to mix with spices. Add water and bring to boil. Cover, reduce heat to medium low, and simmer five minutes. Add reserved fried paneer and simmer 10 minutes more. Garnish with chopped coriander leaves or cilantro. Serves four. Mmm. And that is from Indian Regional Cooking by Sumana Ray, 1986 Chartwell Books. Well, none of that can hurt you, man. As a matter of fact, it all sounds pretty magical. I think those are an amazing way to celebrate Diwali or anything else you can think of when you get right down to it. Those are the Diwali recipes, I'm very happy to say. And I'm glad that I caught at least the tail end of Diwali in order to be able to give you these beautiful recipes, as unexpected as they were and as unexpected as jumping into this particular holiday was for me. Thank you so much for listening and for sticking with me patiently. Please continue to do so because, yes, there's Thanksgiving yet to come, and then there is Hanukkah, and then there is Christmas. We're going to talk about why it is that I'm not going to do a Kwanzaa episode in a separate episode (laughs) because it actually bears discussion so we're going to talk about that but in the meantime please stop by the redesigned website at ancestorsalivegenealogy.com. genealogy.com there you will find links to all previous episodes on the very front page you'll also find links to all my social media incarnations patreon and coffee or Kofi or however the heck you say that the two places where you can sign up to financially support what I'm doing. The podcast is now available on Deezer, by the way. That's a new development, and it's also available on iHeartRadio. So if you want to put me on and listen just to the whole series on your Roku box or on any of those other devices, you can do that. Freedom, man. There's more of it. I'll talk to you before you know it because... Yes, Thanksgiving is coming and I have found some really, really interesting stuff for you, including some stuff from the 19th century. Until then, my friends, expect surprises.